if you're regular attendees on our prayer chain or Facebook friends with me, you know I sent out an email or message that just encouraging you to attend today because I wanted to share some things that we feel as leadership and I feel as one of the pastors here that God is really leading us towards in 2017 and beyond. So the, the title of my message is simply Moving Where God Leads. Moving Where God Leads. I, I love the, the uh, Our God is Living, Our Lord is Moving, and the Spirit is Working to Carry Out God's Eternal Economy. God is always moving. He's always moving. He's always involved. Uh, the problem is a lot of times we don't notice. We're not aware. We, we, we just kind of get so wrapped up in life that we, we don't see where he's really moving until sometimes after the fact. And uh, so I want to share a little bit today about where we've been, first of all. And for visitors, uh, just uh, thank you for your patience. You may or may not be interested in where we've been. Hopefully you'll be interested in where we're going. But Christmas of 2005 was the first service that was held here in this building. Um, man, it was an exciting time. Really exciting for me because we had to get done because my daughter got married between Christmas and New Year's. Pressure was on to get this thing finished. And we didn't start till April. And this building was completed in, in uh, 2005. We'd been meeting in a small building in town that still exists. Go ahead. Please. There we go. Isn't that beautiful? We painted it blue. Not sure why. Why I am too. We got the paint really cheap. I think it was some old railroad paint from, from Evan. It was great. The remainder of that is still in a barrel in the trees out by our place. But it still exists. And we actually were in that building for quite some time. A Bible study was started. And a bunch of, a number of the people that are still here in the church were part of that Bible study. Um, we probably weren't the most likely group of people for God to to save, uh, to get interested. And I still am amazed that this group of people came to a Bible study. It wasn't on most of their agendas. And that Bible study grew, and eventually we began to outgrow that building. However, that building housed us for about 21 years. Um, in the size of the congregation, we just kind of float around somewhere between 85 and 100 people, something like that, maybe 110 once in a great while. But it was tight. It was small. There wasn't much space. It was really not conducive to a whole lot of any other types of ministry. So um, in 1995, I became the fourth pastor of Victory Church. Um, we'd, uh, the first pastor was Dennis Dirks. Then Ken Lundin was here for about seven years and really laid a foundation in this church. And then uh, we were without a pastor for two years. And then Stan Potter was a pastor for two years. And then I followed him. So since 1995, I've been the pastor here at Victory. And in about 2002, we became really serious about building a building. Uh, we just felt like the Lord was really impressing upon us that it was time to step out in faith. And we have some um, frugal people on our board at that time, um, one of them being <coughs> me. So it, <laughs> it took a while. Uh, we decided finally, you know, the Lord was calling us to, to build a building. Uh, he changed direction a couple times. We actually owned some land on the other side of town we were going to build on. And that door was closed. And this door was opened over here in this new development. And here we are. And we decided that we were not going to break ground until we had over $200,000 cash 
in the bank for a building project. And we felt very clearly in praying at that time that the Lord told us, don't worry about the finances. They're already in the congregation. So what our prayer became was, Lord, release the finances from the congregation if this is your will. So the two, $200,000 was raised, and in April of 2005, um, we broke ground. I put a couple of pictures up there. I think I got about three of them. They're not very clear, but those of you that don't know Luella, she's passed away. That was Mike Johnson's mother. And Luella was one of the prayer warriors that had been praying for a church like Victory for decades uh, for this church. And uh, she lived long enough, and she took the first spadeful of dirt, and then she threw the shovel and threw up her hands. And go ahead to the next one. One of the things we knew at that time what we were building for was the next generations. Um, you can see here that the kid in the green sweatshirt with the shovel. That's my son, Ethan, who is drumming this morning. And I believe the little girl is Elodie Tholen, who is now in college out at Brookings, I think. Isn't that where she's at? Go to the next one. <laughs> couple of cuties. The little girl on the left up there, you can't see it very clear, but if you could see the, the pink dress there, do you recognize her, Olivia? That was Olivia, one of our singers up here this morning. And it was significant that we wanted to get kids and oldsters all ages involved because it was going to take everybody. And the vision was for everybody. The Lord wanted us all to be involved, and so that's what we did. And that was in April of 2005. <clears throat> um, the total project cost us about $600,000 at that time. Wouldn't it be nice if costs were still the same? About $600,000, and uh, we paid off the mortgage in, in five years and four months. It was amazing. And boy, we had fun burning that mortgage. So here we are today. January 15, 2017. Things have changed a little bit. Not so much on the outside of the building, but on the inside. We have, according to our records, 201 members. Um, I don't know who that one is. <laughs> and we have over 100 uh, other people that call VCC their home church. Matter of fact, probably a lot of you, 100, think you're members. We think you are too. Uh, if you want to become a member, that'd be great. But what I really wanted to point out is we've got over 300 people, 300 plus, that consider VCC their church home. And the church has been a phenomenal, the building itself has been a phenomenal blessing. We always looked at it uh, in two ways. One, this building is nothing but a tool to help us carry out the work of the Lord. That's it. You know, it's, it's not some holy place that you got to come because this is the only place God comes. No, it's, it's a tool that God has blessed us with. And we believe that it needed to be a community building. So we were building it for the community and outreach. And, and it's expanded beyond community to more out in the area around Ballatin and, and other communities. So we, we <clears throat> built this building. And the ministries have grown um, and, and we've reached a place where the Lord has been speaking to us that, you know what, it's time to step out in faith again. And if you know me very well, and I, I'm not much of a brick-and-mortar guy. I, 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 first of all, I'm not good with brick-and-mortar. 
And two, I don't like spending money on brick and mortar. But we feel that God is calling us to expand the building, to expand the ministries, and to expand the outreach that this facility can uh, handle. And to do this, just like we said back in the early 2000s, one, without changing our missions at all, if anything, increasing them. Uh, The generosity towards our missions program is awesome. We spend uh, over 30-some thousand dollars just on a, our monthly support that we pay out to the missions we support, like, like Osman. And we spend thousands of dollars sending out short-term ministries. And we uh, give away 6% of our, our money to TrueBridge, the association of churches we belong to, which is based on relationship only. They do not ask for a dime. They do encourage churches to pray about giving 3%. So we give to that organization to help other churches, to plant churches, to have someone that holds us accountable. And we don't want any of those things to change. We do not want any of our ministry to change because we're going into what could become a building project. So as we started praying and looking about what is it we need and what caused us to go there, you know, we believe, this might surprise you, but we have people from 17 different communities that come to church here. 17 different towns, 17 different zip codes that come to church here. Um, it's been prophesied over us many times that we are, we, our geographic area is going to continue to expand. That's awesome. Um, it's exciting. Some of you were here the Sunday. I asked all the people that were from Ballot and to raise their hands, and then all the people that weren't. I felt like a minority. There weren't very many of us from Ballot, and it's such a out, out uh, from the outskirts and the surrounding area, really. Um, then we had something unique happen or interesting happen that really challenged me uh, <coughs> because I had to do some really preliminary work just to find out what the easements were, if we did expand, what direction we would want to expand, etc. I was stopped on the street right out here one morning coming to work about 7.30. And it was someone from the city. And because I'd been asking some questions, this individual knew that we were looking at the possibility of expanding. And he said to me, Mike, would your church ever consider doing something with a daycare slash possibly preschool? And my initial reaction was, absolutely not. No way. Because I talked to some home, home daycares and they thought we'd be crazy to do that. I started looking at regulations and I've got firmer in my resolve that no way. Licensure, no way. But it caused us to think. And one of the things that is challenging and one of the things that was brought up a lot at this retreat this past week was the focus at the retreat was the Great Commission. And sometimes we think of the Great Commission and going out and making disciples as simply going out, knocking on doors, asking if they're going to go to heaven or hell or whatever it is we do. And it's so much beyond that. And as you saw just from Osmond's brief presentation of what he's doing, look at how much of what he was doing was just relating and building relationships and trying to meet needs of people. And it's such a unique concept that has been around for about 2,000 years. That's what Jesus did. Jesus taught, yes, he did all these, but he met people's needs. He met the needs of the sick. He met the needs of those that were tormented and demon-possessed. He met the needs of the hungry. They were just hungry. And he met their needs. All part of what I believe is the Great Commission. To, to 
open doors so that we can influence people in our sphere of influence and help meet needs. So I'm going to expound on this a little bit, but I'm going to expound on it through the story in the first few chapters of Nehemiah. I think Pastor Bob last week mentioned, if you had time to look at some of Nehemiah. So here we go. I want to give you just a little background real quick, and then we're going to go right into it. Nehemiah, Israel had been in captivity for over 70 years by the Babylonian Empire. Because of their disobedience, God had allowed them to be taken into captivity, into exile. And for 70 years, they were in exile. The Babylonian, Babylonian Empire, they were taken in Nebuchadnezzar was king. And, would, and one of the things they would do is they would take many of the people back to their own areas, their own cities, and cause them to be exiled from their home, homeland. After the Persian Empire took over from the Babylonian, they were a much more benign rulers, and they actually started a, um, I guess you could call it a, a, a policy, if you would, of transplanting the exiles back to their home territories. In other words, the king in his benevolence said, you know what, if you want to go back, go ahead and go back. Some did. One of the problems was a lot of them didn't. A lot of them had it pretty good. After all these many, many years, uh, now they had some more benign rulers, so to speak. They were comfortable. Some had been intermarrying. Uh, They they didn't want to go. In 536 B.C., there was a guy named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel led a group back to rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed. They hadn't been functioning. And so he was sent back and he took a group of people with him to rebuild the temple. Now going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple caused a problem for all the neighbors, the Samaritans and some other ethnic groups that were there. They didn't want them to rebuild the temple. They didn't want to see Jerusalem reestablished. It was a threat to them. So of course they ran into resistance and they would be physically attacked, warred against. So it started out gangbusters. They were excited to rebuild the temple. They started the foundation. Then the persecution started and they quit. And they did basically nothing for about 16 years. Well, I shouldn't say basically nothing. They got focused on themselves. The scripture actually says you were busy building your own house, your houses, while my house laid in ruins. So they didn't, they didn't finish the temple for a long time. And then a couple of the prophets that you would read about in the Old Testament, Haggai and Zechariah, were contemporaries of that time. And they came with the word of the Lord and got the people going again, and the temple was built. Then Ezra, a priest, was sent in 457 B.C., approximately 80 years afterwards, a lot of time passing. And he went back to teach the law and to start get them back sacrificing the temple correctly. And again, Uh, They ran into resistance, and some of them actually fled. And again, for about 12 years, nothing happened. And 12 years later, Nehemiah came. And the story of Nehemiah is a great story to read. In Nehemiah chapter 1, he is the cupbearer of the king in the country that's ruled by the Persian Empire. And the king... This cupbearer, and it wasn't just that he would taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned or taste the food. By that time and in that era, the cupbearer was also kind of a confidant of the king. 
He had a, he had a really good position. He had a really good job. He probably had it pretty easy in his life. And then some people came back from Jerusalem. And it says he asked his brother, and his brother gave him a report. And the report was this. The walls are torn down and the gates have been burned. In verses 3 and 4, Nehemiah becomes aware of a need. It says this, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. And Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. First thing I want you to notice is Nehemiah is made aware of the problem. He is made aware of a need. And the first thing he did was he wept and prayed. He went to the Lord. It says <clears throat> for a number of days he went to the Lord. He was moved because of a need. He was moved by compassion. If you read it, you'll notice he says, I asked about Jerusalem also. And when he asked about Jerusalem, not just the people, but the Jews of Jerusalem, he's asking about the city, the temple, the place where God's people are to sacrifice. He was moved by compassion for the people and compassion for God, worship of God. And he responded. And I think it's really interesting in this story because I think God does this way more often than we think. He puts this on the heart of someone who is in a position to actually do something. You know, he could have he put something on the heart of uh, Joe Blow in the city doing some menial task, and he'd have had how, no opportunity. How do I do this? Where do I start? Well, obviously, if God had called him, he'd have made a way. But he took the guy's king's cupbearer, and he put it in the cupbearer's heart, who was in a position of influence and had relationship with the king. So he was putting in someone's heart who had some abilities to recognize the need and do something about it. And I humbly would suggest that the Lord looks at us as a church here and sees a need. And he's putting some of this in the heart of the people, starting with the leadership. And I hope and trust in the heart of all of us. Because quite frankly, and this is one of the reasons I'm not sure I wanted to post it on our website, but quite frankly, ask yourself this question, if not us, who in this community? If not us, who in this area? Those words aren't coming from me. They're coming from the EDA director, an employee of the city. They're coming from a number of people in the community. If not you, who will do this? And I'm thinking, it's just like God. He's put his finger and put it on our hearts to do something crazy. Crazy. And if not us, who? You know, we feel like there's needs in the church for the church body. That's what got us started on this, this path. One, as I said, we have people from 17 communities. How do, do we, how do we develop the family relationship that we want and, and believe that God wants in our church? We don't want people just driving over once a week, spending an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours here, and leaving. How do we get to know each other? How do we get to know each other's heart? How do we get to a place where we can minister to one another? How can we live life together as brothers and sisters in Christ if we're called to be part of this church? Boy, it's fun to watch after the service out in that little foyer in that little tiny space between the sound booth and the back row of chairs. Everybody's trying to fellowship, but there's just no room. 
we believe one of our great needs is a much larger foyer that could be used for many different things, but it would be a place to gather to build fellowship, a place where we could actually build relationships. We believe we have a distinct need <coughs> to expand our children's ministry rooms and our nursery. And if you work in the nursery, it's been much better since half of my office became more of the nursery. My office was way too big anyway. But it's been a blessing. But it's not big enough, and it's not going to be big enough. So we realize we need to, to, to do something about our nursery situation. We need to do something about our children's ministry rooms. We need to do something about our teen rooms. They're having up to nearly 25, 30 kids come to our junior, senior high. Right, Casey? Okay, I don't want to lie. I don't want to get even evangelistic on you. <coughs> but we know we need space. Obviously, if you're one of the ladies, you might already know this, that we need probably more restrooms. And as we continue to grow, we're going to need more restrooms. So we're looking at those things and the possibility, should we need to, do we need to do something different with the sanctuary or don't we? We still don't know. But we know, and this is what got the process going, and then all of a sudden this daycare thing pops up. And as we've been praying about it, and talking about it, and getting more involvement from community people, it's something that's really starting to, to stir in our hearts. That this is something. We, we, we pray. We pray all the time. And this is one of the requests. Lord, how can we better influence our region of southwest Minnesota? How can we reach out? And this was not one of the first things that came to mind. A lot of times it's like, I don't know. We're just this little church in this little town. What can we do? Whatever God wants us to do if we cooperate. So Nehemiah chose to act right away. And in verse is 11 and 12 of chapter 2. It says this, he went to Jerusalem and he stayed there for three days before he did anything, kind of like he's just settling in to the place. And then it says, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone yet what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. I hadn't told anybody yet what God had put in his heart to do for Jerusalem. This idea to go back to Jerusalem to repair the walls, wasn't just his idea. God had deposited something in his heart. I mean, really, seriously, <clears throat> get rid of our own spiritual uh, haughtiness at times and say, geez, I, I'm the cupbearer of the king. I got it made. Why would I want to uproot everything and head to this place about seven, 800 miles away where the city has been destroyed? I think I'll just stay right here. Well, Quite frankly, I'm pretty comfortable right here. I, I, you ever do those things you swear you're never going to do something again? Bad idea. I swore after that last building project, thank you, Lord, that I am old. I'm never going to have to go through this again. <laughs> I don't know if I'm wiser either. But I do learn a little quicker. So here we are. Are we going to respond the way Nehemiah did? Because God had put it in his heart. As I said, my first response was no way, and I could probably, you could ask most of the elders, and some of their response was probably like mine. But God has started to really birth something in our hearts in this particular area. Nehemiah then makes the necessary preparations. He finds out about the need. 
He responds to the need. First thing he did was prayed. Smart man. And then he took responsibility to do what he could do. He took responsibility to do what he could do. He had the ear of the king. In verses 7 to 9 it says, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel and by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So he went. He took the letters. The king even sent horsemen and army with him to travel to keep him safe. He made the necessary preparations, and he went directly to Jerusalem. And as I said, he settled in for three days to set to work to determine exactly what's needed. Preparation. What's needed. And he actually sneaked out in the darkness of night all alone. And I think he might have said he took three people with him. But it says he hadn't told anybody what he was going to do. He wanted to see what exactly what was going to be needed. And it says, I hadn't told anyone, this is verses 11 through 13, I hadn't told anyone the plan that God put in my heart. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal wall and to the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. And he knew right away what work needed to be done. Verse 16. The officials didn't know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests, to the nobles, to the officials, to any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to him, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be a disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God upon me and the king what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. He shared with the people what had happened. You know, God has been so faithful uh, to our little church from this little Bible study. Remodeled the old plumbing warehouse. 20 years we were there. What have we been here? 11 years, 10 years, 11 years in December. I've been so faithful. We've been able to be involved in so many ministries, so many outreaches to impact the community. If we have a reputation in the community, besides being a little bit crazy and awfully overcommitted, it's that we're a generous church. When there's a need, guess who they come to? It's awesome. It's because of the body of Christ that God has brought together right here. So we already have influence, and we have some favor in the community, and the necessary preparations were made. What have we been doing? What don't you know about yet, most of you? Well, let me just give you a few things. First, prayer. We've been praying about this. Uh, we've been praying, Lord, really? This is not what we want to do in the flesh, but we'd much rather be uncomfortable in the Lord's will than comfortable out of his will. So as we've been praying, we've started to determine the need in the area. If you've tried to get daycare, I, I had no idea how bad the need is. Matter of fact, I've been doing research, and the research and studies in the state of Minnesota say this shortage, severe shortage of daycare, which is handicapping communities and cities because they can't get employees to come into the communities because there's no daycare, is going to be this way for 35 years. Now, I don't know how they know that, but they're anticipating for 35 years this need. 
there are uh, women in this church right here that can't get daycare for babies. We've had a few babies in the last year. Couldn't get in. There are employees, even up at RELCO, who key employees are not able to come back to work after the maternity leave is over, so they're having to go on unpaid maternity leave because there's no daycare. Another one's closing in Ballotin. We started determining the need, looking at the need. We also contacted the local daycares. We want to be good neighbors. We don't want to compete. And the local daycares, it's been very affirmative. We had one that was a little concerned about losing some of her families. But we've, been, we've laid the groundwork in talking to the local daycares. We've been meeting with members of the Economic Development Association, our ballot and EDA. Matter of fact, they keep calling most of the meetings. They're so excited about the possibility that, they would, that we would consider doing this. As a matter of fact, uh, SWIF, Southwest Initiative Foundation, SWIF, covers 22 counties in southwest Minnesota, just included us in a grant application. They wrote it up for us. We answered some questions. We did some writing. It's just so amazing to me that, and we've made very clear that we would be a faith-based daycare because that was part of the request from people in the community. Surprising, isn't it? It shouldn't be, but it's surprising. They want a place where they can send, <clears throat> where they can send their kids and know they will be taught right morality from the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? Not that we're going to preach, not that we're going to proselytize, but we are going to teach truth to children if we have a daycare. The EDA has got us in there. The, it's already went in. That's one of the reasons we're sharing this. We wanted to wait till we had some a little bit further plans because one of the next preparations we've made was we've met with an architect. Their architect I've been in communication with this week. We're going to start with drawing some floor plans and try to wrestle our way through this to see how it turns out. So we've made those, and, and, and we said, don't we, don't we need to wait? And they, their answer was, no, let's go. So we have, are part of SWIFT's. They're applying for a $150,000 grant. Our part would be $35,000 if we receive it. Uh, they're confident. Um, really, we're at a place where it doesn't matter. We're getting in the process. We're getting in the system. And every step of the way, the people are encouraging us and saying, please, please go there. Co- please do this. Uh, they'd like us to break ground tomorrow. We won't. <laughs> um, Beginning to study, you know, preparations, beginning to look at the regulations, the licensures, talking to some of the gals in here that have been involved in local daycare, uh, letting us, you know, it's not a surprise, but it's overwhelming. Uh, quite frankly, it's a, a, a job I don't want to tackle. But if that's what it takes, we've been getting educated and we've been discovering we have a lot of resources in this congregation already that have been involved with daycares not only running home daycares, but helping to set up um, daycare centers like we would be. A little more complicated process. And we've got people in here that have done that already. Licensure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in part of our preparations, we're to the point where now we're trying to inform you in a little bit more detail so you can start praying about this with us as we continue to go forward. Uh, As you can tell, it's very preliminary. But this grant uh, application that was sent in, the results will be back by the 27th of this month already. 
sent it in. I didn't know anything in government moved that fast. We sent it in last week, and it's going to be yay or nay by the 27th. So back into chapter 3 of Nehemiah, after Nehemiah shared with the people the preparations that had been made and what was going on, the people responded and said, let's do it. Let's go for it. The high priest and his family went to work. The high priest went to work building the wall. The rest of the priests went to work building the wall. The scribes went to work building the wall. The families, the husbands and the wives went to work building the wall. And it was wisdom there because they set the, the families and the scribes and set them all near where they lived to build the wall. The key thing is everybody got involved. I, I, I love this term that we were stealing from uh, Smithton Revival umpteen years ago, the power of all. Everybody coming together with one mind, one purpose, one passion, the power of all. The people heard what God had laid on his heart. He heard about the favor that the king had given him. He, he, they told them about the need, and they could see the need. They're living in a city that's there's no walls, no gates. You know, and, it, and it's, more, it's about way more than the wall. It's about way more than the wall. Because the wall is important to protect the city from the attacks of the enemies. The gates are important so they can shut the gates to keep the enemies out when they attack. And it's, and it's to do something more significant than just keep them safe. It's to protect the place where the temple of God was to be rebuilt so that the people could worship God according to what God had told them to do. The process, the, the wall is just like a tool. Nehemiah is building a tool to make it safe for the people to worship God. They're building a wall to, to make the temple a place once again that could be established for the people to worship God the place of ministry, the power of all. You know, for us to do a project like this, our own building, and if the Lord would continue to lead us towards a daycare, it's going to take everybody. It's going to take everybody. Um, Building projects, I heard this so many times 12 years ago. Get ready. Church splits coming. Disunity, strife, arguing about things as silly as the color of the carpet. Where they put the water fountain. I mean, I got to tell you, God was so gracious. I don't know that we had one disagreement through the whole building process. It was amazing, the unity that there was. And I believe unity is one of the things God cherishes more than so many others. When my people that gather in my name are all of one mind, one purpose, one focus, there is a power that releases. There's a synergy that develops. It's bigger than any one of us. It's bigger than any group of us when they all come together to accomplish God's purposes. It's the power of all needs to be in place. And if you're familiar and you did read the story, you know that the thing that happened almost immediately was opposition rose up. Opposition rose up. They're, they're threatened with attacks. They're made fun of. They're mocked. They're ridiculed. It even says one of the Samaritans, as they're all ridiculing and mocking him, says, look at these stupid Israelites. Look at these foolish Jews. Look at this ridiculous wall they're trying to build out of the rubble. Gee, if a fox ran across it, the whole thing would fall apart. And it went beyond that. They were actually physically attacked by the Samaritan group. They heard about threats that they were going to be attacked. So the laborers are working with one hand, carrying their sword in the other. We aren't going to stop the work, but we will fight the enemy. We're on watch. We're alert, guarding at all costs. 
It's an amazing story of the unity and purpose of the people when the opposition came. There were not only the anger, the threats, finally they even brought in a false prophet. A false prophet that would come in and say, hey, let's go in this. We're supposed to all go in the temple and do this, do that, and the other thing. Well, Nehemiah and Ezra were smart enough to realize, no, that's not, that violates God's word. This is a false prophet. They tried everything to stop them. We will face opposition. Our opposition will be different. When you look at the opposition that came against them, it took all kinds of different forms, but I believe if you look at them closely, the one thing they were trying to accomplish more than anything else was to bring fear that led to disunity. Fear. What kind of uh, uh, things will we face? <clears throat> I think we were going to face the first and foremost in most of our minds, if you're like me, it's going to cost a lot of money. Finances. Finances. Where will the finances come from? It's really about fear. And it's really made more than anything else to bring disunity into the body of Christ. That's why the power of all is so important. There's going to be there's going to be a fear of raising the finances. If we go the daycare preschool route, there's going to be licensures. There's going to be the regulations. There's going to be staffing issues. You have to have people on staff that have trained and they have degrees. There are going to there's so many issues. I'm starting to get depressed telling you. But I get over it quickly. But there will be opposition. And I think the same goal to bring fear. So we back up because the fear and faith do not coexist. And if we start walking in fear, it's just going to be a disaster, no matter where the Lord leads us. And the response to the opposition was prayer. Over and over again, you'll read in the story, and they turned to God, and they turned to God, and they turned to God, and they turned to God. As I said, it was bigger than the wall. It was to protect the people so they could worship. You know, what we're doing is bigger than a building. Like I said, I, my office got smaller, but I love my office. That's comfortable. This is great. This is comfortable. We know what we got. It's all paid for. We're so comfortable, Lord. We don't want to go to the promised land. This is really good. This is really good. It's so easy to go there. But if we feel called, we need to move forward. In Nehemiah 14, 4, verse 14, he writes, After I looked, over, looked things over, I stood up, and I said to all the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the obstacles. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sisters, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I really believe, and as we've done more and more research on the daycare aspect of this whole thing, uh, the need is so great. And I believe the impact that we've been uh, looking for on the surrounding area and community this isn't just a balloting thing. I mean, when we start doing research, it's amazing what people are doing to get daycare. Driving one child over to this town and the other child over to this town and then driving to the third town where they work if they can get into daycare at all. This can be one of those opportunities to minister beyond our local community and out into a much greater area. And the car is filling the, fulfilling the Great Commission to build relationships 
even if we only had their children for the first two, three, four years, just think about what we could put into those children that they're not getting in so many places. And if they're staying our, and we have a preschool, if they go into that, just think of the influence. And I can't help but believe the influence that it would have in homes and families with parents. I'm not, not trying to sell this as a church growth program in the least. We want to see people transformed by the Word of God, by people loving them, people loving their children. I really like people that like my kids. I really care about people who care about my kids. If I can trust them with my children, man, I can trust them with a lot. This is such a ministry opportunity that the Lord is leading us into the way it looks. How did it go for them building the wall? Nehemiah 6, verse 15 and 16, it says, The wall, the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Now, you've got to remember, this wall had been laying in shamble for almost 200 years. 100 and some years laying in shambles. The need was there. For a number of years, the last 60, 70, 80 years, the people could go back. And they did. And it still didn't get accomplished. The time from Zerubbabel, the first group that went back, to when Nehemiah went back, was just short of 100 years. And the wall laid in ruins. But when God put it on somebody's heart, and they acted in obedience and by faith, and they all came together as one, the wall was built in 52 days. Amazing. Well, I don't think we're going to build a building in 52 days. Sorry, God. But if he wants us to, we'll try. But we're not there. But we know that we need everybody on board. We believe not only if we go the daycare route, which we really feel led right now, we're being better stewards of what God has given us. Think about it. If we need daycare space and children's rooms, children ministry rooms, that we would use on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night, and they sit empty the rest of the week. God, wouldn't it be much better stewardship if those things were busy all day long, five days a week, with somebody's children in them? The opportunities. It's going to cost more. We're going to have to customize those things to meet regulations and codes, etc., 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 And I wish I could see where Nehemiah just said, there, okay, you guys all go do it. But it looks like he was involved. (laughs) So I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Bob and (laughs) and let him run with this. No, we've got some young people. I know I've went along. A couple other things I think you just need to know. The EDA is behind this thing. They're pushing us. We're not having to pull them. They're pushing us. They're introducing it to letters in the Chamber of Commerce. We've touched base with other businesses in the area, not just in Ballotin, to see what the response was. We've got financial commitments that people are already willing to make from the community if we feel led to do this. It just seems like the favor of God because it's something that's on his heart. 
So unlike I did with Osmond, I'm not going to open it up for questions. But if you have questions, please ask any of the elders. We'll tell you anything we know. Um, as soon as we have some idea of floor pans, costs, I can guarantee you this. Whatever we build, if we put on square footage equal to this building, it's going to cost twice as much for sure. Um, no way around it. But we're confident what God calls us to do. It's already here. So let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege it has been these many years to be part of what you're doing in southwest Minnesota. God, I praise you and thank you, even as your prophetic words have come forth, that we would have a greater sphere of influence in the geographic area. God, we see that coming to pass in so many ways already with the ministries that you've established through this church. We thank you for the way that it's been a community facility to minister to others in the community that may never ever step in this door, the doors of this building again. God, we thank you for, for your faithfulness. Thank you for the generosity of the people that you've brought here. But God, we pray, we pray, Lord, whatever steps you might lead us to take, the kingdom advances. God, that we see lives transformed for your glory and for your honor. God, we want to see outreach increase. We want to see the missions we support be more effective than they've ever been before. God, we, we trust and put our faith in you. Lord, your word tells us, unless the Lord builds the house, our labors are all in vain. So, Lord, I pray that you would begin to stir in our body here. God, we pray for words of confirmation. We pray that you would reveal any red flags. God, whatever it might be, Lord, we, we, we pray that you can, and we know that you can speak through anybody in this building. And we pray that you would do just that. So, Lord, we just submit this to you with fear and trembling, but with faith. Knowing, God, that you are greater than any obstacle. We know your heart and your love for people, especially the children. So, Lord, we pray that you would guide and direct us, that we would hear your voice clearly. Bless each one as we go our separate ways this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.